Hey there, it's Josh and Andy from the Hollow Chronicles podcast. When you are driving home from a hard day's work and you need a little decompressed time in the car and you want to find some Star Wars information, where do you go? The Scarif Scuttlebutt. Scarif Control, this is TK226. Come in, Scarif Control. You know what? I don't know why there's no answer. I've been sitting here on the comm for how long now? Yeah, it's been quite a while. Yeah, it's been quite a while, yes. So, can I give it a try? Hey, you're more than welcome to try. Hey, I've been meaning to ask you how it went with that uh, green friend of yours. Uh, what's her name? Oh, well, uh, that was a while ago, but um, it was... It was a difficult evening, you know? Really? I can only imagine. You know, her species is known for... Oh, that explains a lot. How did I miss that? How did you miss that? What? Uh, if you haven't tried the Denarian spin at least once in your life, I don't... You know, it's not that big a deal. TK226, TK388, your comms been open all this time. Would you guys mind starting the podcast, please? Thanks. Denarian spin. You've tuned in to the fastest growing Star Wars podcast on this side of Moss Eisley. Grab your sunscreen and your blasters. This is the Scarif Podcast. You've seen her work. Now it's time to meet the artist. We want to welcome a special guest on the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. We've been fortunate enough to talk to some very talented people, photographers, editors, visual effects artists. But today we've got someone uh, very special and you've seen her work on this pod and on other posts. Thanks to our friend, actor, uh, bounty hunter, Mr. Dominic Pace, the gecko image from The Mandalorian. A striking shot that shows the calm, cool, collective and as they say, cool as a cucumber personality of this fan favorite from The Mandalorian. We've got Aubrey Eden Dukes here to talk a little bit about that image and more. Aubrey, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Yeah, super happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. No problem. This is uh, our second try at this uh, recording <laughs> session. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we had some rebel spies that infiltrated my laptop and were uh, able to... Uh, corrupt some uh, imperial files but uh we've taken care of that right away so uh welcome and thank you for coming back absolutely it will prevail <laughs> so uh you know we, we've had some great discussions uh on, on twitter and we've had some people uh kind of submit some questions as well uh folks seem to be very excited to talk to you and and so am i the second time around i think uh it'll be really uh, a lot of fun but i wanted to I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you some of those questions later on but uh, i wanted to ask you right away how did you get your start um actually you know my start has um essentially I, I feel very lucky with with the path that i've had because working in the film and animation industry for about 15 years i've um, had some really cool opportunities to work on some wonderful films and, and animation. Um, primarily, my career has actually um, been in compositing, but illustration, having 
having always been a passion of mine, it's something that I've always had just for me, um, which has been, um, cause it's the one thing that I can't ever turn off, you know, like I'll go uh, throughout my day, whatever I'm seeing, whatever I'm observing, I'm constantly figuring out ways of, of recreating that in art in some form or another. Um, but like I said, primarily my, my career has been in compositing, which has enabled me to, you know, work on the last Star Wars saga, which has been super exciting um, to work on a large chunk of the Marvel films um, and doing stuff in post-production, doing stuff in pre-production. I've, I've had my hands in a lot of different aspects of, of the industry. And so it's been very rewarding, um, very exciting. And um, I've just learned so much in the process of doing so kind of going through this this long, fun career. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to one of the questions that one of our followers had because it kind of relates to that. Um, uh, question from Nicholas Schaefer. He asks, you've gotten to work on some great, amazing stuff that would, uh, that many would dream of, but is there a property that you haven't gotten to work on? What would that be? What would that dream job be? Uh, I mean, working, working on Star Wars was always a dream so being able to touch that on on any level um is is so exciting and, and, and like i said rewarding um but but truthfully like there's especially because now we're in this big boom um with animation which has been a specific passion of mine and so the boom that we have right now with animation like there's so many incredible um stories out there there's so many different ways of um, executing those ideas, whether it's with CG or stop motion or, um, the different ways of, of animating, uh, um, across the various different kinds of software, um, that I am just excited to work <laughs> on any of, any of these projects, you know, like, of course, Nickelodeon, DreamWorks, Warner Brothers, those are places that I would love to work for, um, a little bit more exclusively. So, yeah, there's always the want to do more, but uh, the one that I would have, the one person I would have loved to work for, which now, unfortunately, he's not, not unfortunately, it's, it's part of his retirement is he's more in a working in, in like a teacher format is uh, Don Bluth. Oh, okay. um, he was a huge inspiration to me growing up and I would have loved to have worked on any of his, um, any of his films. Um, but like I said, now he's more, uh, he has his own academy and he's, he's basically, um, you know, instructing new amazing artists. So that's, that's something I know is very exciting for him. So what know, about, uh, <laughs> yeah. What about Don Bluth's uh, work excites you? I know, uh, he wasn't, he, he's a director and, uh, I <laughs> remember, uh, the, there was a series of dinosaur movies really that were, that had some really great animation. Uh, can you refresh our memory? Absolutely. Um, he originally uh, did work with Disney and branched off to form his own company. Um, you know, he did films like Secret of Nim, um, Land Before Time, uh, American Tale, uh, to name a few. And those were always my, my favorites. Um, I guess what I loved about them is they, they were kind of a little bit dark. I, I, I sort of appreciated that he wasn't afraid to have these darker twists on stories and trusted that the audience could handle it. And as a kid, I, I, I appreciated that. It wasn't like he was trying to make everything soft and cute and bright and cuddly. It was uh, these storylines that felt a little bit more uh, real, which I really enjoyed. 
Um, and he had incredible composers too, you know, like, um, he had Jerry Goldsmith, um, doing some of his films. He had James Horner and I'm, I love soundtracks. And so I, I loved the music that just brought a little bit more into those films on top of the amazing artwork and animation. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of people don't realize how, you know, music itself is its own character and without the music, the visuals are kind of. Um, not left behind, but, uh, you know, they definitely help, uh, promote uh, an emotion. Um, but, but, you know, it's, there is no, there's no I in team. And when it comes to art, uh, it's definitely a team effort. Um, we know that as, you know, creators and, and as I, I think subliminally when people watch movies, you know, they're, they're thinking about the visuals obviously because it's bombarding you, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the audio is, is also very important. So, uh, you know, we're talking about your work and I do kind of, uh, see, uh, a little bit of, um, I'm kind of remembering, uh, the, uh, dinosaurs from the, uh, that film very striking imagery very bold and uh, you know you mentioned that he wasn't afraid to uh create these stories uh and and just give it uh the truth and the darkness of of how some of the stories played out and i i think that was a little bit kind of ahead of of the curve there because now we're seeing some very some very interesting stories that are being played out, uh, you know, in the so-called, you know, children's landscape as far as cartoons and things like that. It's definitely refreshing to be able to have a story be told honestly and, like you said, not kind of spoon-fed. Um, but that's, you know, that's, I guess, part of a, a creative storytelling. I think uh, I think he's definitely got uh, that aspect of it. Getting back to, you know, I was taking a look at some of your work on Instagram and uh, amazing stuff, by the way. You know, your your work is very diverse. Uh, it's uh, spanning a few different genres. Um, what's your favorite thing to draw and why? Um, it changes over time. That's for sure. The, the thing that I've really enjoyed drawing of late is is really, um, really getting into characters. Um there's there's so much nuance when it comes to characters there's so many thoughts and emotions and stories that can be expressed in just a character based on how they're standing the look in their face the way they're holding their hands you know that's something that i'm always challenging myself is trying to get that emotion across with those subtle things i love seeing that in other films i love seeing that in other art so those are, those are things that i try to incorporate in, into my art as well and um I just, I like drawing kind of weird people. I love, I love kind of features that are not your cookie cutter things and, um, you know, big noses and like weird features that just, it makes a character more interesting. It's more fun for me to draw. Sure. And I do see that a lot in, in some of the work that I've saw in your, uh, Instagram posts. It's, um, the uh, subtleties of some of the, uh, I don't want to call them caricatures because they're not, they're just, there's so much more, but they do have kind of that uh, extreme bold look uh, to, to how you draw. So I, I, I like them a lot. Um, and not only scenes, but you're right. You've got, uh, you know, facial features on there. You've got these characters that are just large, bigger than life. Um, I encourage anyone, what's your Instagram page? Let's tell the people to head on over there just to check that out. Sure. If you go to Obs the Blix, it's A-U-B-S. It's a shortening of, of my name, 
the Blix, B-L-I-X. So when it comes to uh, creating these uh, works of art, do you ever have a moment? Do you ever go back, revise, destroy, or revamp? What is that process like to you? How does it evolve? Ah, absolutely. I mean, it's every piece is sort of a new exploration into something. It's a new experience. And you get sometimes you get a piece and it is just coming together really great. And sometimes not. Um, and the thing that I have found um that, that was a key piece for me to really understand with art is sometimes you'll be working on a piece and you know you're almost done and there might be something that is just a little off that is that is preventing you from from really being solid like I, I'm done with this this is this is good I'm satisfied you know sometimes there's just that little piece that's missing and um, that can involve starting all the way over. Um, maybe there's something with the lighting, maybe there's something about the expression or the pose of the character, or, you know, maybe if I change the angle of the camera, it'll actually achieve more of the feel that I've been going for. But, um, you know, you, you have to sometimes step back a little bit from your own artwork and really look at it objectively to carry it through the finish line. Um, and so that was that was a hard thing to learn. It's not the easiest thing to do, of course, especially when you've invested a lot of time and energy into a single piece, especially when it's a very elaborate big piece. But um, it is also rewarding because at the end, it's like, I know that was the right move. That was exactly what I needed to do. And now I got to that image that I had in my mind that I was just a little off from. So, you know, good lesson learned. And, um, you know, every, like I said, every piece is a different experience and it's a learning opportunity to carry into into the next. Yeah, I was going to ask you how hard that was uh, learning that that uh, lesson because you guys do spend a lot of time, and I've got a lot of artist friends that you know sit there hours and hours, you know, in, in front of uh, a piece of paper or a canvas, uh, you, you know, and then once it starts to come out, I mean, I know it's a process, um, mm -hmm. and I have seen you know some frustrated artists just you know realize that this is just not going the way they planned it. And just kind of start over. And I'm like looking at it. And I'm like, but that looks fantastic. But I know, you know, from an artist's point of view, it's like, no, there's, I, I can do better or I can change this. How difficult is that to to be able to, especially as a young artist, how difficult is that lesson to learn? I mean, that's a lot of time invested. It is. And, and honestly, for me, like that, that came more from um, having like a mentor, um, you know, back, back in art college, um, you know, we have these really incredible teachers that have had their own experiences and have learned their own lessons and are resharing that with us. And for them to come over and be like, great character, love what you did here, love this background, love this prop, love whatever this is that you've created. But I think you need to change this thing that's probably going to involve me starting all over. So it's like, uh, it's really deflating, but it's such a good thing to learn because, um, like some pieces, when, when I'm creating um, art, some pieces come to life in front of me and it's just kind of in, in a spontaneous improv, if you will. Sometimes I have a very clear image and it just flows so freely and that feels great. And, and the other times it's the challenges that I think are really important to muscle through because the more you muscle through those challenges, the more you're better prepared to face those, those kind of hardships, if you will. Because, you know, I might see an image in my mind and it's, it's kind of like, 
it's kind of like if you're replicating a piece of art in front of you, you know, I'm going to, I have this image in my mind. I'm trying to paint that. I'm trying to copy that, but the image may be a little distorted and I can't see things as clearly and trying very hard to recreate that can be very challenging. But the more you practice that, the more you work at it, um, the more you're like mentally prepared to work through that obstacle and keep going and, and look at other angles, look at different perspectives on how like, yeah, maybe I need to change the color scheme. Maybe I need to change um, the expression or the mood of the whole piece. And that's how I finish it. So they're all really useful tools and really, really good um, experiences to draw from. That's interesting. That kind of uh, brings me to a question that I had originally, you know, obviously you, it seems like you had mentors, you had people that, uh, that you looked up to as far as helping you to get to your, uh, through your trajectory to your goals. Um, what are some of the things that, uh, now as a seasoned artist that you've learned that, that you wish you, um, had, you know, as a, a new artist, as a young artist? Um, I think one is, to be able to trust yourself to handle challenges, you know, a lot of times, myself included, you might kind of back off from doing something that looks very complicated or very time consuming because maybe you don't have the confidence to do it, but you need to trust yourself to be able to do those challenges because you can really only grow as far as you're willing to challenge yourself. And that comes with trusting yourself and, and really being kind to yourself because you know, it's sort of the artist trope that we go through these roller coasters of like, oh, I have, you know, nothing can keep me from creating. I'm just in this mad dash of creativity and I just want to, I, I can't get it down on paper fast enough. And others, when you're just, man, I, I can't even draw like a face right now. Like we just go through these different roller coasters of, of creativity, but um, being kind to yourself when you let those insecurities speak to you, they're a bigger obstacle and they're, they're blocking you from doing what you know how to do. So you, you have to be kind to yourself. And I, I had kind of expressed to you in an earlier conversation that, you know, those are things I would definitely say to myself, but I would also say to myself that um, as a young artist, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself thinking that I had to create everything from scratch by myself and I think that was a detriment to myself because you don't have to do that. Like you can either work in a team with other people, which can be a really rewarding experience and a great learning tool, but also you can utilize, you know, it's okay. It's in fact, it's crucial to utilize resources and, you know, look at lighting in real life to, um, look at pictures to go out and travel and, and see things yourself to really understand textures and landscapes and, and, you know, the human body when you're drawing characters. So, you know, sometimes you, it, it's good to understand that you don't need to do all these things from your own imagination period, because that will really, really block you from growing as an artist. I love the idea of being able to look at the real world and look at shadows and light and how light bounces off of different uh, surfaces. Um, is, is that something that you do a lot? Yeah, daily. It, it's something that I can't really turn off. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like as, as artists, um, we're really observers. 
you know, because if we're going to create these pieces of art, we're observing that from someplace, even if it's a fantasy, even if it's a total sci-fi um, created piece, we're, we're pulling things from our day-to-day world to create those things, you know, to push it, to make it more, you know, abstract or, or elaborate, but we're still utilizing resources in our day-to-day world. And that's important to, to understand um, how things exist in a space to be able to, to mimic that, you know, you, you have to get out and you have to, you have to look at the world around you. You have to see, you know, how, you know, I'm kind of saying this over again, but lighting is so important and color is very important because all of those things can be utilized to tell a story. You know, we're going to use some, some, maybe some reds in, in this piece to add a little bit more of a menacing quality to to the art we're maybe going to have the lighting a little bit darker you know all of those things tell a story in itself so if you're not really looking at those elements you're not efficiently telling your story and it seems like you have to be in touch with yourself too because there's a lot of things that people really don't understand that work on your subconscious like you said you know the mood uh, as far as a certain lighting um can apply to an image, uh, the position of that character in the scene, uh, the way, you know, the way that, uh, shadows are bouncing off him. And actually for me as a photographer, that's very important because, you know, you have to know where to put the the main light, you know, am I going to put it straight in front of his face or am I going to put it a few feet away? So all those things kind of play into, the uh i guess the characterization of not only just the 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 subject in the scene but the environment Mm. um you know colors shadow lighting intensity just a lot of stuff that comes into play and as a photographer i'll set these things up but you guys you know in in the in in this visual medium in the print and painting world you guys actually have to create that um out of a white uh blank canvas and that's I think that's even harder to do because for me, I just turn on a light and I'll just put it back or closer and it's it's kind of a sliding scale. You guys really have to work at recreating what you see in the visual world. Yeah, well, it's an interesting study because we're utilizing the same thing. So it's like you have to, um, you know, you have to really understand that stuff. I know a lot of really great photographers who make incredible artists because their eye is so fine-tuned to being able to see things and observe things. Um, to, to understand like everything you said, where you put the light, where, where you put your main character in the scene, where, where your focal point is in that scene, all of those things matter. And if you're not paying attention to that, um, if you're not well-versed in knowing how to create that, um, it's a detriment to, to the piece you're looking at, but you know, all of it is an, is an observation. And for me, I've been drawing since I was a kid. It was just something that I always did. So it's, it's not to say that it's not challenging, challenging because it absolutely still is because you're always trying to um, learn something new or, you know, I might follow an artist right now that I just can't get enough of. I love their style. I'm going to, there's pieces for that, that I'm going to adopt and that I want to morph with my own to grow. And next year it might be something else. So you're constantly kind of climbing this creative ladder for your own interests. Um, but all of that comes with, you know, pushing yourself through, um, through challenges and not, and and yes, being in touch with yourself is, is very important too, because no matter what we're drawing, even if we're aware of it or not, 
pieces of ourselves are going into everything that we create, whether it's photography, whether it's music, whether it's art, it's all, we are, we are in our own art. Yeah. Great, great point. Um, so this kind of relates to one of the questions that we had from one of our followers, red for Charlie, you know, he, um, asks, he has a 12 year old son. Uh, he says, what are, what would be some of the words of wisdom you'd give to a 12 year old boy who loves to draw, but doesn't think he has talent. You talked a little bit about trusting yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, everyone has talent and every kid I, is that, it is so much fun to watch kids draw. You know, my, I have a nephew who's 10 years old and he is constantly drawing these like crazy creatures and these uh, wild environments, these things that, you know, as kids, your imaginations are like really potent. Um, and so, you know, you just kind of keep drawing because as a 12 year old thinking he can't draw, there are people who think that well into their careers thinking like, God, I just can't do this. Like you have to be kind to yourself because you just, you just keep at it. You may not like what you have in front of you, but like you kind of mentioned earlier, I could be angry at something that I'm drawing thinking it's not good enough. And someone else may see it and think that it's great. And as a 12 year old, it's like, yeah, you may not like what you have, but that doesn't mean that if you keep drawing, you're not going to improve for what you think you need to improve on. Um, so yeah, just keep at it. Draw it. Who cares if it's no good right now? You just keep going and you'll get there. You'll get where you want to get if you just keep at it. Um, another question he has, um, do you do any digital, you do, obviously you do digital drawings, uh, on a digital medium. Uh, how has that impacted your career? Um, I have found it to be a really useful tool. I still, um, will paint occasionally on canvas or on physical, um, on physical uh, forms, if you will, for lack of a better term, um, canvases and, and, and on some wood, I'll, I'll do some stuff with that. But I have personally really enjoyed the digital tools that we have at our disposal. Um, because you just have, like, for example, for me, I, I, I put off for a long time buying an iPad because it was an expense and I don't know if I really needed it. Um, but I eventually gave in because as an artist, you, you should have a journal with you at all times. And, you know, there's something about the physical, about how the feel of the paper, the feel of the pen or brush in your hand that you, you kind of can't really replace. But having an iPad, I can go out and I can have all the colors I need right there. I don't have to pack watercolors. I don't have to pack my oils or my brushes. I don't have to have those with me all the time. Now I just have my, you know, my Apple pen and my, and my iPad, and I can create anything right then and there. Um, so for me, I found it to be a really useful tool, um, to also enable me to work faster because oftentimes I would create something in my journal and I would have to recreate it in Photoshop, um, on my computer because the scan of my pencil wasn't, wasn't clear enough. So I'd have to redraw that, which takes time. Uh, and then paint it and, and carry it through what I'd like to do. Whereas on a, um, in the digital sense, you, you don't have that step that you have to go through. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I think it has been a huge help to, to keep me working and, and I can work anywhere. You know, you can do that also with, you know, when you have the physical elements with you, but there's, there's something about the digital that I think helps really retain that information. You don't have to worry about losing that piece of art. Um, about it. You do have to worry about corruption every now and then, or if you don't back up your work, which every artist has felt the cold stab of that. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I just I think it's a great tool. Yeah, technology definitely uh, has uh, given us the ability to, you know, do stuff uh, probably in places that we never thought uh, were possible. You know, I being uh, how many times have in the past, even before iPhones, how many times have I said, wow, I wish I had a camera because I want to take a picture of that. But uh, now it's <laughs> it's with us everywhere. So uh, technology definitely is a, uh, you know, a, I know a lot of artists too that are kind of like old school and they really really love uh like you said physical media uh but do you have a preference uh is there i i know from from the artists that i know you know obviously they have different feelings towards uh drawing on paper versus drawing on a screen um it just evokes a different uh tone a different mood do you have a preference or do you are you fine either way I default more to digital, just like I said, it, it kind of serves more of my, um, more, more of my professional needs, um, more than the physical does, but they're so different. I can't really say one is better than the other sure. because they each serve a purpose. Um, they each kind of like, like I said, you can't ever really replace the feeling of the, the paper as you're drawing on it or as you're painting on it. That, that is kind of a unique experience. Um, but I do appreciate that a lot of the software today is trying to mimic as much of that as possible. You know, you have incredible paintbrushes, the way that they've, that the technology is where you can see the way that paints would, are trying to mimic how watercolor is, how oil is, how acrylic and gouache and all these different forms of painting. They're trying to mimic that as much as possible, uh, but you can never replace the feel. And um, that, that is a huge part of it for, for any given artist. But I do appreciate the ability to recreate that look um, on a digital platform. You know, Photoshop is great. Um, I've really loved using Procreate, which um, is an app for the iPad that has really um, advanced in leaps and bounds. You know, I was waiting for a very long time for Photoshop to be available on the iPad so I could, you know, like if I'm at the park, I can just start painting but that was a, a full program that wasn't, or a full application that you couldn't have on a device. Um, and so Procreate popped up and it's been blown up like crazy because it has been such a great tool. Yeah, there's a, I used to draw a lot more in, in uh, high school and college. And there's definitely a, a very distinct feeling sitting in front of a white piece of paper and drawing that first line. It's just something something that's, you know, Talk. I I don't want to jinx it all, but uh, talk about the the phrase "Let there be light." It's just <laughs> it's just a it's just a weird just sensation because you're you're starting on something and who knows what it'll come up with. All right, school's back in session, and we had some extra credits to spare for another lecture from Dr. Sonny Ravencourt. Take it away, Dr. Ravencourt. All right, Todd. All I have here on this script is Yoda's species with a question mark. Is this from Scarif again? Jeez, somebody over there has too much money, but I'm happy to take it. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Dr. Sonny Ravencourt, a famous former holodrama star and now guest lecturer at the University of Coruscant. Find my lectures at universityofcoruscant.com, YouTube, and podcatchers everywhere. Today we're going to talk about Yoda species, apparently, and the fact that I'm calling it Yoda species should be a really bad sign for those of you expecting a lot of detailed answers. 
The famous Jedi Master Yoda was a species that was simply not known, and Yoda himself did not help with this. He kept his homeworld very hidden. Some historians believe this was because his species was very peaceful, and he didn't want to bring politics, or worse, war, to his planet. Silence must have also been a part of his genetics, because historians have only ever seen two and a half of that particular species. Yoda, a female Jedi Master named Yaddle, and a very young one who was only recently discovered. Historians are still unearthing that story as we speak. When I say young, I mean 50 years old. The Yoda species, we think, had a lifespan around 900 years. A 50-year-old still kind of looks like a baby, which is rare to say the least. Yoda and Yaddle both had a brain and also had a subbrain, which may have helped with the Force sensitivity. It's speculation, but apparently they preferred a food that was objectively disgusting. And that's kind of it. You hear smoky stories of other examples. A Jedi named Minch, who may have existed, was reportedly one, but that story is getting harder and harder to find. I think our best chance to learn more about the species and its homeworld resides in this baby, which was recently discovered. Oops, that is time, Todd. Print it, send it to Scarif, and tell him next time to give me more direction. I've got a doctorate, and don't you even say honorary. For more University of Coruscant, visit universityofcoruscant.com. That's C-O-R-U-S-C-A-N-T. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube and iTunes, because every subscription goes towards Todd's GPA. But seriously, it's important, and it does help us out. Yeah, I'm married. Does it matter? You'd do that for me? Really? Yeah, I'd like that. Who are you talking to? It's Jar Jar from Otakunga Insurance. Yeah, it sounds like a really good deal. Jar Jar from Otagunga at three in the morning? Who is this? It's Jar Jar from Otagunga. What are you wearing, Jar Jar from Otagunga? Misa? Misa wearing some mooey bombad khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, and he's a Gungan, so... Like an annoying neighbor, Jar Jar is there. That's a me! Dewey insurance is not applicable when rebel vehicles are involved. Ow! Woo! Okay, what did those dorks over there want me to say? <clears throat> Alright, here we go. Hey there, fellow Scuttle Buddies. This is Matt Vader74 from the Salty Nerd Podcast, and you're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast, your home for everything we love about Star Wars. Alright, hey dudes, keep that rape bobblehead. I really don't want it. Thanks. <laughs> All right, it's time to pay the bills. Hey, I'm excited. We got a new sponsor on the podcast. Alex, why don't you tell the folks what we got? What's up, Star Wars fans? Today's episode of the Scarif Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Organically Wonderful. Organically Wonderful is a small business that is dedicated to bringing you 100% pure, organic, non-toxic beauty products like dry shampoo and body oil. And if you go to their website and check out the list of things that you can buy, and then when you buy them, you can type in Scuttle Buddies 15 
and get 15% off your entire purchase. That's Scuttle Buddies 15 for 15% off. Head on down to organicallywonderful.com and say thank you to Organically Wonderful for bringing you the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. And may the force be with you. All right. But as, as far as your art, is there a piece or a moment uh, that you looked at your work uh, in, in public and thought, wow, this is cool. Other people are seeing this. Like, what was that first, like, aha moment for you? Um, I mean, in terms of my illustration work, I think The Mandalorian is my first biggest experience with that. Um, I have done some artwork that has gotten out there before, but it, it's a little bit different. Because um, years ago, I did some illustration for... Uh, Stoneblade Entertainment. They had this um, this like digital card game called Soulforge, um, which was similar to Magic: The Gathering because it was done by the same creators of that. Um, and so those were really cool pieces that I f- that I I created. But then I would hand those off to like a finally an artist who's basically taking my artwork and they're adding additional things on top of it. Um, you know, like the icons and, uh, you know, they're turning it into like a game card. So they're taking the piece and they're carrying it onward. The Mandalorian is the first piece that I've done that has been like all me and gone out there. And, um, you know, it's, it was a super intimidating experience. It was a very exciting experience. Um, and a learning experience too, because it's, it's interesting to see other people posting your artwork and not having really experienced that before. And, and a lot of people are doing that because they're, they're fans of it. And that's, that's super exciting. And there's been a couple of times where I've, I've seen a couple of people that have taken it and manipulated it in some way and, and represented it as their own. And so that's sort of another learning experience of like, well, that's, that's sort of what happens sometimes when something gets exposed out into the public. Um, and there's not always a male intent with that. Some, you know, I guess, you know, sometimes of course there is and sometimes they're not, and you just kind of have to experience that and, and learn from it. But it has been uh, very cool, you know, cause when, when Dominic first reached out to me, you know, it was just like, oh, wow, I've been hearing about this show and it's so exciting. And to have an opportunity to just be like a, a part of it in just like the tiniest little of ways was like just so awesome. So talking about uh, that image, you know, I, I've teased this episode, you know, you, you know the art, now let's meet the artist. What was that process like? You know, you, you talked about Dominic, and he's been on the show, you talked about the uh, the process, but what was it like for you? Um, it was a really awesome challenge. Dominic reached out to me, and, um, you know, of course, because this is... This is Disney, this is Lucasfilm. This has a lot of NDA protection um, behind it, of course. They're very, very protective of their property. And I, I work for Disney um, as a compositor, so I know very much, like you have to be very um, protective of their content. Um, but he reached out to me and he had given me a little blurb of what this was gonna be for, um, what he uh, wanted me, that he wanted me, he wanted to commission me because of my style to create his character and, um, I'm sorry, I should rephrase, not create, but do like a fan version of, of his artwork. You know, that was such a cool thing. I was I was absolutely in, but he couldn't really show me any images. Um, 
you know, he was able to show me, I know he's spoken um, in interviews about the inspiration behind the character itself, which I think was, I think it's Brian Sipes who did this Greenpeace, um, this really, this really cool Greenpeace um, character and, and the paint that went into that, the, the way the character was modeled. Um, he used a lot of inspiration from that to create Gecko, And um, essentially he had to use that to give me some kind of starting point, you know, like he, in our communication together, he was able to describe to me the really important pieces of his character so that I could do an illustration from it. Um, and I, it, it was just really fun to be able to sit there and be like, okay, I don't really have a strong visual of what this character is, but with talking to you, I'm doing some sketches and, you know, we would kind of go back and forth a little bit. And he was very descriptive, Dominic. You know, he was very good with describing like, you know, this is what my cloak looks like as it as it falls off my body. You know, if you think, you know, Chewbacca has that, um, for lack of a better term, that that's, that sash that, um, that holds those ballistic bullets um, across his chest. Think something similar to that, but here's where it's a little different. You know, here's, here's, you know, the belt that I have around my waist is six inches. You know, he would give me a lot of really descriptive material to work from to, to create this character. And so that in itself was a challenge, but it was a lot of fun because honestly, when you were first doing conceptual pieces for a character, you don't really have a lot to draw from except someone's word to get going. This is what I'm imagining, uh, kind of run with it. But it was intimidating doing this because this was a character that was going to be seen. So if I did something that was super off, fans are definitely going to point that out and be like, whoa, why, why is this character so different here than it is on the show? Um, so that was an added challenge. But, um, you know, Dominic was really great to work with and, and it, was, it was a sheer joy. I, I was really, really honored to be a part of it. Hello to Roe, and that's a scuttlebutt. Uh, I can't say enough about Aubrey Eden Dukes. I had a year uh, to shop around for illustrators, and I found four Aubrey. Uh, she was one of the first I noticed on LinkedIn with some of her amazing pieces um, that she had done previously. Uh, at this time, there was only one photo that I had that I secretly uh, showed her before The Mandalorian came out, and uh, we just had a lot of back and forth in terms of the description of the um, the look of the character and uh, uh, how Gecko, um, you know, his bandolier and uh, how he had his, um, his uh, forearm guards, etc. Um, but I get so many compliments on her work, and we've certainly talked about doing another piece as well. So wishing Aubrey uh, all the best and uh, just an amazing talent for anyone who wants to commission an artist. I would highly recommend uh, Aubrey Eden Dukes. She's absolutely amazing. Uh, and uh, every, uh, just wishing everybody all the best in the Star Wars community. Uh, hopefully we'll get out of this soon and we'll be able to uh, celebrate with all the fellow artists there at uh, some of the upcoming conventions. Um, all the best, Rowan. Uh, may the Force be with you. And I'm, I'm looking at the image right now, and one of the things that has always struck me ever since Dominic has, um, you know, sent me a, a couple of, of, of these uh, for our listeners is, you know, again, just getting back to your style, you've got uh, a certain boldness in color and, and, I mean, the way he's standing, uh, the fabric, uh, you know, around his uh, skirt and his cape. 
Um, I mean, you made him look badass. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really, really great. And, you know, that you can tell that, you know, it's kind of a, like I said in the intro, it's kind of an action shot, but he's cool as a cucumber holding his, uh, his weapon and, um, that orange and that, that explosion behind him. Um, it's really, really a great image. And, and I'm sure, you know, like I said, I mean, people are very familiar, uh, with the image and, uh, kudos to you for, for, for have, having done this. It's uh, just an amazing print. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was a ton of fun to work on and, um, the intimidating, intimidating thing about going into anything Star Wars related is, is, um, it is such an expansive universe, you know, and, and what's exciting and, and Dominic has put a lot of energy into this and the fans, of course, have put a lot of energy into this where you look at any of, any of the Star Wars films and those background characters have these really rich, really broad storylines when you start going into the fan fiction, when you start going into the stuff that's actually canon, into the graphic, you know, novels and all that stuff. These characters have a much more elaborate storyline. And it's it's not hard to see that Gecko could have this exact same explosion of um of character. So it it's to to be, like I said, to be a part of that in just a small way um was very exciting uh, and such a great experience to be a part of. Well, and, you know, obviously, as you know, in the Star Wars fandom, side characters are everything but side characters, I meant mm -hmm. to say. Um, you know, a lot of people put a lot of, uh, you know, worth uh, behind these characters. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for, obviously, the character, but I'm very excited for Dominic. He's been uh, a really great ambassador for the fans of, of the show. And, uh, you know, I, I congratulate him every uh, every chance I get when he posts, you know, some new and wonderful things that are happening to him and his character, because it just it definitely means, you know, more cool stuff for us fans. So uh, kudos to that. Absolutely. Dominic, uh, you know, he's he's spoken about it on your podcast. I've heard him talk about it before that this was always a dream of his. So to. To see someone finally get that is is so you know wonderful. You 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 want to see wonderful things happen to really good people, and you know Dominic has um, you know he's worked with my brother a couple times on short films, and so you know they they were drawn to each other to work on these projects because they both have a very strong passion for the industry. They don't have you know these these big egos. They're they're willing. You know, they see something that looks like it's going to be a fun project, and they're going to dive into it. And they're you know Dominic is is um, is a great guy. He's a hard worker. You know he's he's so dedicated to the fans and. He's always, you know, giving credit to everyone, you know, all of the people who are creating these really fun and very creative um, renditions of Gecko, you know, he's giving FaceTime to and he's trying to call everyone out and he's trying to give time to all of these people. Um, and not not everyone does that. And he he's one of those guys that is happy and willing to go all those steps, all those extra steps to go out there and you know, give people the opportunity to meet him and um, to, you know, to work with him. And so that's, that's, it's really awesome to see him getting this, this great experience and this opportunity. 
I totally agree. It's uh, one of the reasons that we are so happy to live vicariously through him and his experience on the show. Uh, you know, we've had him on a couple of times and uh, just hearing him describe what it's like to be, you know, in costume, let alone on, on the set in that environment is uh always a joy to hear we're all like you know giddy little kids just you know living our fantasy through him so it's it's fantastic what about what is it about sci-fi or fantasy in general that kind of excites you uh from an artist's perspective um well sci-fi is is kind of like a the what if for imagination like what if our society will run like that will run like this what if our technology could take us to this level um what if we met other creatures what if we could travel through space like it's really a way for our minds to fully expand and just explore anything and everything um and in a lot of ways it has been a direct result of us advancing in technology you look at old star trek with their um God, I'm going to forget the term and I should know it because I also love Star Trek, but <laughs> there, there are comms that have now been a big influence for cell phones. You look at the stuff that Tony Stark has in the Marvel films where he's able to work with his monitors, the, the way he's able to interact with them with his hands, you know, that's technology that exists today. So it's, it's a really, I, I love sci-fi. It's just, it's, it's fun to think of what is beyond, like just around the corner for all of us. It's a good way of... Also, for me, it's a good way of sort of helping to relax myself because any of us can get really caught up in our day-to-day -day stresses and our, our day-to-day -day issues. But, you know, when you when you start really taking yourself out into space and seeing how broad our universe is, it, it can be a way of making those problems seem pretty small. So I've appreciated it for that escape as well. I totally agree with you. You know, it's a, an escape. It's kind of, uh, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine and it just kind of frees your mind. Uh, you, you definitely hit it on the, uh, on the head there as far as, um, you know, thinking about the what if, you know, we think about uh, the term thinking outside the box and, you know, uh, all the stuff that we've grown up with uh, from the, uh, like you said, the, uh, the, the uh, communicators from Star Trek to the technology in the Marvel films, it, it definitely is a what if, and it inspires a lot of, uh, you know, young people to kind of think that way. What if I were to do something or invent something like this? And then they just go ahead and, and do it. Um, so uh, getting down to like a serious question, you know, we touched on this a little bit before uh, the last time we talked, but uh, as an artist, it must, you, it must drive you nuts uh, in in some way to see you know government policies, educational institutions, and the like to cut funding, and basically kind of relegate the arts to the back burner, so to speak. You know, when I was in school, we had art, uh, we had uh, studio photography, and things like that. But more and more curriculums like that have been kind of be uh, disappear. What what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful uh, because. You know, art has always been just a huge part of my life. Um, I was taking art classes from as early as possible until today. You know, from when it was an elective till it was what I was going to college for and now what my career is. Um, and I just think, you know, it's 
a lot of, not a lot of, but clearly some people who are in positions to make, make power moves don't really see it as an important part of culture or society or that it should be taught in schools, but it really is such a crucial part of understanding ourselves. And I, I see it also as a means of, you know, that's some people's language, you know, that's, that's, that's how people communicate. That's how people can be in tune with themselves, how you can process, you know, experiences you've had, whether they're, they're joy or whether they're traumatic, you know, these, these are ways for people to communicate when they don't have the words to do so. Um, they're also, you know, I've always been a visual learner and being able to visually see something to help me process information is, is how, how I took information and to completely take art out altogether, I think is a, is a huge disservice. You know, it teaches you patience. It teaches you observation. Um, it, it, you know, it helps, it, it helps people find a place for me. It, it helped me find a place in, in the different, uh, the different levels of school that I went through. Um, so to remove that on, on, on any level is a, is a, is a big disservice to us culturally, I believe. And like, you know, like you said, I mean, it's, it, it teaches, uh, it teaches a lot, um, a lot of, uh, you know, some people might say that that stuff is, uh, kind of an, an intangible, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, I definitely see it, um, in kids. You know, my wife runs a, a, a music program where she teaches, um, you know, the history of, uh, the U S through the, uh, socially conscious lyrics of the sixties and seventies. And a lot of times these kids, you know, they don't participate, but something in the music, something in the beat, something in that, uh, you know, mind freeing method of, of listening to a song just kind of opens them up and that's how they communicate. Like you said, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, the uh, pieces that these kids do, that's the only way that they know how to communicate. And if, uh, if you close that off, you know, you're closing off such a huge aspect of uh, our future, because as they say, children are our future. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, I, I hope that changes over time. And there, there obviously there are um, a tremendous amount of advocates for this because I mean, art is also pretty broad. You know, art is language, art is music, art is photography, painting, um, you know, all of these things, lang- you know, like I said, language, but it's, uh, it's such a, to, to cut that out completely is a, is a very ignorant thing to do um, because it has such proven like health benefits to it mm-hmm. as well, because they've, you know, I, I won't know the scientific term for these things, but there's been, there's been proven, there's been these facts about, you look at the wavelength of what music has and how that can relax our minds, like literally. So you can, you can absorb information and let go of some stress to, um, in, in, in these terms of like health, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. speaking super educated <laughs> about it, but like, these are proven things, you know, this is how sometimes these are how, um, individuals who have severe autism communicate and learn. And, um, you know, I just, I don't think it's ever anything that's going to go away. I don't think anyone, like, I, I don't think the people who are advocates in true, um, uh, people who have this passion will ever let it die away. It can't, you know, it's how, it's how history has been told, how history has been taught, you know, 
over generations and it's how people, how society has grown. So it, it's never going to go away, but it's, it's going to have a roller coaster and it's how much effort we put into these institutions that will help keep it alive and keep it um, fluid. Definitely. Definitely. So before we take off, we have a little segment that we call Sentry Mode, which is uh, where we ask you a couple of Star Wars related questions and uh, you get to answer no right or wrong, just to have a little fun here after that uh, serious question. <laughs> um, so awesome. let's, let's do Sentry Mode. This is Sentry Mode. All right, Aubrey, question number one. What is your favorite Star Wars character and why? Um, it's probably a little bit of a boring, uh, answer, but I've always, <laughs> I have always really loved Luke. Um, and, and that's actually because I don't like him at the very beginning In the very beginning of, of the whole saga, he's sort of the audience that brings you in. He's this teenager essentially who's been stuck in a small town with nothing to do. And he wants desperately to, you know, explore the universe and explore who he is in sort of that way that feels really ignorant. Like, oh, let me get out there, even though like people are experiencing some real hardships out there. Um, but I love his story arc because by the end, he's um, he's grown and he's matured and he's evolved in this really interesting way. And so um, I've just always enjoyed his character as a result of that. Awesome. Not boring at all. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> so question number two, Sith or Jedi? Oh, I always go for the good guys. So Jedi, Jedi all the way for me. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Cool. Cool. So if you had uh, an in-universe Star Wars job, what would it be? I would want to be in the cantina uh, because I think that's where you're going to get all the, the the lowdown of what's going on. You're going to get all nice. the interesting characters. Yeah. That's where this story really takes off, where you meet Han Solo is in the cantina. So that's where that's where I'd want to be. Nice. Yeah. It's a colorful uh, area to work in. A lot of, uh, you're right, a lot of uh, really great characters. They, they tell you what the lowdown is. Good choice. Good choice. Next question. What Star Wars character would you like to tackle drawing or doing an Aubrey interpretation of and why? Yeah. God, everyone. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. How do, how do you choose? There's, there's so many. It's um, gosh, so many great characters, both you know, visually and story-wise. Um, yeah. You know, and again, even even a lot of these side characters. I mean, it's just you know, visually, you know, George Lucas definitely had uh, you know a larger vision when he created this universe you know it's it's not just put an alien here and put an alien there it's just uh, you know he went around with his little rubber stamp and stamped his stamp of approval but um a lot of great visual looks to uh to star wars characters oh, who, would yeah. you, who, would, who would you pick to kind of uh not change but just kind of give your own flair um maybe also an unpopular opinion but i always loved the ewoks <laughs> so i think it'd be fun to do some some drawing of them to to make them seem you know the biggest argument which i can't deny either there there really should be no reason why these uh bears with spears beat like armored battalions of soldiers there should be no reason for that but <laughs> it would be fun to create a version of them that looks like 
that could happen. <laughs> so, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've always loved them. I love the spinoffs. I absolutely devoured those as a kid. And maybe it's because I was a kid when I saw them sure. that I loved them. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot you could do with them to make them look a little feisty or vicious that would enable them to defeat some some soldiers. <laughs> If you ever if you ever tackle that, let us know because we'd love to see that too. Absolutely. Hashtag murder bears. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So last question, what is your favorite Star Wars property? Like media, I guess. Uh, the movies, TV, comics. What do you like to immerse um, yourself in? I would say the movies. I'm I'm always gonna default to the movies because it was my earliest film experience. Um, it's probably what enabled me to want to get into film to begin with. Um, but I've, I've seen those movies a thousand times and I will probably see them a thousand more. Um, but there, there's something about them for me that is always very nostalgic. And, um, there's just sort of that feeling that you can't replace because I remember when it just like blew my mind and opened me into the, the what if, and so for me, like that is a feeling that I'll happily revisit time and time and time again. Which film is your favorite out of the first trilogy? Um, it's it's kind of uh, changed a little bit over time. You know, Return of the Jedi was always my favorite because once again, I love the Ewoks. Um, but I, I love the climax of that film, too. You know, as children, my brother and I would reenact that scene with Vader and the Emperor like over and over and over and over again, like we were crazy people. Um, but I, I've always loved Return of the Jedi, but at the same time, Empire Strikes Back feels like it has such a different mood uh, that it's it's like a very, very close second because um, it's, it's kind of the gritty one. You know, it's, it's where we see a lot of that um, influence for change and growth in Luke and a lot of the other characters, so... Um, but Jedi, Jedi always takes, takes Supreme there. Excellent. Good choice. Good choice. This is Sentry Mode. Check out more trivia at sporkle.com slash games slash subcategory slash Star Wars. That's S-P-O-R-C-L-E dot com. And may the force be with you. Aubrey Eden Dukes, everyone. Check her out. Uh, what's your Twitter again? Let's remind folks where to find you and all your social media. On Instagram, on Twitter, you can find me at ObsTheBlix. Excellent, guys. Thank you very much. This is Ro from the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Hey, y'all. This is Aubrey Eden Dukes, and you're listening to the Scare of Podcast. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Hey Star Wars fans, this is Alex from Imperial Entanglements, here to remind you that this is the place where you want to be for Star Wars content. That is true, Alex, and just to prove it, here is my best Gamorrean guard imitation. <laughs> eh, maybe not. <laughs> That's funny. And we're here to tell you, if you like Star Wars, and I think you do... Are you itching for new Star Wars content? Join us. 
It is your destiny. And we're here to remind you that you're listening to The Scarif Podcast, a Star Wars podcast with a lemony twist. (laughs) He's not wrong. So grab your sunscreen and your blasters, because it's always sunny on Scarif. How freaking cool is that? (laughs) Insert sound effect here. Roll it again. And that's the scuttlebutt.